This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today, the conversation is all about electric cars. They're fantastic. They're great to drive, but they've got some issues. What about end of life of these vehicles? And how are we going to make money selling these things? And joining me for the conversation today include Dave Philippe. He's the vice president of global powertrain engineering at Ford. And Kevin Roberts is a senior analyst with global automotive and transportation at EY. Thanks for being here, guys. Happy to be here. Thank you. So, Dave, let me start with you. It's, uh, like I said, EVs, fantastic. Smoother, quieter, faster, uh, but nobody knows how to make money on them. And here's an industry that's under the gun all around the world to come out with more and more EVs. Uh, Is the industry making progress fast enough to where they're going to be able to make a profit on these cars? Because I'd like to point out, Tesla sells more electric cars than everybody else, at least in this market, put together, and they can't make a profit on them. When's that point come? Well, don't want to get into details of our profitability. Obviously, we all need to make money in what we do, um, but part of it is bringing scale to the marketplace. And I think um, Tesla's done a nice job as far as a start, um, but we're working very hard, and other OEMs as well, to really bring this technology to scalability and help with the affordability of all customers. And it's, it includes full-range EVs, but it also includes hybrids, which we're all also very proud of working on as well. Yeah. Kevin, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really going to be a matter of bringing down the cost for the battery to make it beneficial not only for OEMs to profitability, but also for consumers. And then, you, you know, it's really, we're going to have to really make the EVs more attractive to consumers for the point of view is ease of convenience of use. You know, it's right now. If you want to go fill up your tank, it's two, three minutes. Charging can take hours at a time. Uh, really kind of bringing that convenience down for consumers can be really big for getting EV adoption onto the market. It's really the batteries then, right? Isn't, isn't it, Dave? Bad. I mean, the, re- the rest the of the, the EV stuff is yeah. pretty much solved technologically and from a yeah. cost standpoint. It's all the batteries. Um, it is, um, but Kevin hits a, a key point where the batteries could do a lot more than just fuel economy and CO2. And that's the other thing we're looking at and working on. How do we translate that battery as a source of energy for customer to do other things with in their vehicle? So for example, um, at Ford, uh, next year we have a a full hybrid electric vehicle coming out and we'll have a power outlet in the rear of the tail box as a power to the box feature in which the hybrid will be a source of more energy for customers to use for power saws and other things. So if we could translate more of the why buy and electrification for the customers in terms of fuel economy, in terms of performance, and other utility elements, that to me is an opportunity for us to tap into in the marketplace. Are there other ways that you can make EVs more 
appealing so that, you know, people will want to buy them like Dave just talked about. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, the point of view is you could kind of you start thinking about microgrids within your house. The EV or hybrids with a relatively large battery could really be a new kind of power source within your home. You can start thinking about are there ways you could leverage, reduce your overall electric bill by storing energy in your electric vehicle? What, so you, 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 you charge the battery at low costs or, you know, off rates so it's mm -hmm. cheaper and then use it when the rates are higher? Yep. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. You could, you could look at concepts like that. There's even been talk about, you know, using potentially your electric vehicle if you're, uh, you know, your wiring in your house is set up for this. Could it be an actual generator or um, source of energy if you lose power? You know, there's, there's a whole lot of ways. Yep. Once, once you stop kind of viewing, you know, vehicles as just a vehicle to get you from point A to point B, kind of view as a larger kind of ecosystem within some of the powers you can do with some of these vehicles. You know, there's, there's a lot of different ways. And then, you know, effectively, it could be a revenue source for consumers too when you're buying these vehicles. Yep. If you're starting to store this energy, could you be giving it back to the grid at certain times? You know, there's a lot of different plays with kind of power and utility companies that yep. could really be kind of changing this. Exciting space, you're spot on, Kevin. We have a number of work streams going there as well. Well, like you, like you mentioned, imagine having that onboard generator, but instead of having, you know, the gasoline power generator in the back of the pickup box, you get rid of that, but you still have the power outlet or a source of power to plug back in your house where you don't need a home generator anymore. Mm -hmm. How long could I run my house off my car <laughs> if the power went out in my Dep house? Depends on the size of the battery yeah. so. <laughs> and how much TV you're watching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's say, uh, you know, a 60 kilowatt battery, which is, a, you know, seems to be a good size that the industry is settling in on. Uh, could I run it for a full day or it would only be a few hours or? Well, it depends how much uh, yeah. you know, you're, yeah, you're going by. Well, let's say it would be, you know, it, would be it would power your appliances in your home pretty readily. Yeah, okay. For a good portion of the day. Yeah, you, you, it's the thing where you have to decide are you running full tilt or are you just running on, yep. you know, auxiliary type functions. But yeah, it's, absolutely. You could, you could probably get through a decent power outage running off your But if battery. your vehicle, if your hybrid or full electric vehicle has a source of power for you to do that, is that something that would be more appealing to you and hence, you know, something that's more attractive for electrification? Because right now, electrification has historically been seen as something as, you know, just uh, environmentally green CO2, which it does, but it has a lot more potential and I think that's the secret to success. Mm -hmm. So, Kevin, what do you think? Battery costs, what's it going to take to get them down? Scale's one thing, you know, Dave mentioned that, but, you know, Tesla's got pretty decent scale right now, and they're still losing money. How do you get the cost of the batteries down? It's, it's going to be a whole value supply chain play to really get these things down. If you look at it from, you know, if you're looking from bringing in raw materials from mining companies, trying to bring that down, I mean, we're already seeing kind of a little bit of oversupply with lithium right now, but, you know, starting to get into that. Um, scale and even larger scale to really drive down the overall cost of these batteries. And, you know, we're going to see, have to see more demand to get in there to make it more profitable so more players get into this space is kind of how I view it. Dave, I don't know if you have any other thoughts Agree. on that one. <clears throat> Excuse me. We need to look at the value chain. So the raw materials and the sourcing is very important. Um, and then the other element is a battery plant, if you've not been to one, it's significant investment. And our supplier partners, we're working in conjunction with them. When you make that investment, you really need to optimize its usage. So the way we're setting up our programs is for the scalable increments of uh, battery capacity, what's our best way to ensure that we will use all of that, the batteries that our suppliers will make? Otherwise, it's going to be very inefficient from a cost standpoint. 
Is there something about lithium-ion batteries, which is what everyone's pretty much using right now in their electric cars? Is there a limit as to what you can do? Because I, I've seen studies that say for another decade out, the cost is going to be around $125 to $130 per kilowatt hour, which means it's still significantly more, it's lower than what it is today, but still significantly more than a piston engine car. I, I there's a lot of work going on in the battery space to try to bring down the cost, either by changing your material mix and bring down, you know, weight, so maybe you don't need as many kilowatt hours on the vehicle. Um, so I, I think if you look at it from the battery industry, they're working hard to, you know, either improve profitability or reduce cost, um, and then really, you know, seeing if there's different kind of mixtures out there that you can run with these batteries to really get them more profitable. But I mean, it's it's economics at a certain point. It's going to take some time to really get to this point where it's going to be, you know, the cost-benefit analysis works great for everyone. We have to figure out the tipping points on the scale, the value stream on the lithium, the cobalt, et cetera, need to be optimized. Um, and it's that capacity utilization like I talked about as well. So I think, and if we get uh, a number of OEMs sharing on the chemistry that we have in the supply base, we recently announced that we're partnering with uh, Volkswagen on their MEB platform in Europe. Um, that should help provide additional scale. It's at scale across the markets that I think is important. There's been talk about solid state batteries. Is, is that the next step? Is, is that even a solution? I think those are more theoretical, probably in a little bit more theoretical space at this point. I think it's a little bit more than theoretical. I, there is um, real promise for solid state. Um, I think it, it will come. It's just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. I think some think it's hope it's maybe within the next few years. I don't think that's a case. I think the earliest, the latter part of the decade. Um, it will take the battery technology to the next state of energy density, um, which is needed. But again, it gets back to the reuse of that capital. Um, how does solid state come in at a time when it makes sense that we could efficiently reuse that capital or transition to solid state? How much does the, the rest of the electric powertrain play a role in this? Can you make the motors more efficient? Can you make the inverters more efficient? Is, is that part of the solution or is the, the big thing just getting the cost of the battery down? It's, it's everything. You have to pay attention to all the details. You have to pay attention to the mass and the weight because the extra mass you carry in any of those subsystems, you're just paying back with uh, energy density um, and cost. So um, it's all those fronts and uh, there's a number of our supplier partners, a couple of what we're doing internally, but we're paying attention to all those details because we want to use every ounce of ele electric energy we can out of the batteries. <laughs> Reducing weight cost is always going to be key with a lot of these components. So, you know, if, if and where you can make improvements, it's great. But I mean, I think the battery is yep. the blind share of what, what we're looking to. There's uh, an idea, our thoughts out there too, that if we have a really good electric charging infrastructure, you know, we've got gas stations everywhere today, and there's quite a few charging stations, not nearly as many as there are gas stations, but would it help, at least in the public's mind, if they knew, hey, I can stop anywhere and get this thing recharged, even though it's going to take longer than filling the tank with gasoline? Would that be something that would make people more open to electric cars? I think so. I think the key with electrification is how do we, how do we help it adapt into people's lifestyles, right? And there's a number of features I mentioned earlier around electrification that helps, um, but the use of the vehicle and where people go with it. And if you take a look at some of the statistics as to where does a car stay during the course of the day, um, it stays stationary. And if it's somebody going to work, um, they're able to have a charging station at work. That's a convenience thing for them that 
they could take advantage of and have an automatic recharge. So I think we just need to run that out and infrastructure is very key because if you go to a mall and there's only 10, 10 charging stations and a, you know, more, a lot more than 10 electric vehicles, that's gonna be a problem. But I think the, the, uh, the industry is moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. I mean, infrastructure can be a key, but I mean, there's still a couple components at play. I mean, we, we need to reduce the time to charge the vehicles. At this time, it's still extremely long time to charge. Um, when people are basically conditioned at this point from internal combustion engines to wait two to five minutes to refuel, recharge, um, bringing that time gap down is going to be key. Um, you know, we're talking about infrastructure for charging stations, and you already hit on parking garages. Um, you know, you see a lot of major cities right now, it's almost a race to see who can get up earliest then drive their electric vehicle downtown, and then, the, then that vehicle is gonna sit in that one charging station for eight, 10 plus hours. You know, is that the best use mm -hmm. of a charging station at that point? Is there a way you might be able to get better utility out of charging that? Um, and yeah, I mean, you're gonna need to see more charging stations across the country. Um, I mean, they're not as ubiquitous as gas stations at this point. I think they're going to get to that point at a certain point. Um, but you know, where do you put them? If charging still takes up to an hour, how many charging spots do you need to effectively recharge a vehicle? There, there's still a lot of uh, issues um, through the whole value chain there that need to be solved. Most people who have an electric car today charge it up at home. They may not have mm -hmm. a level three charger, but they probably have a level two, 220 volt. So they're leaving the garage with, a, I could say, a full tank mm -hmm. every morning going to work. But you know, if you live in an apartment or something like that, you know, I would imagine that's where a public infrastructure is far more important. Is that what's going to be one of the things that really opens it up, that opens up the market for EVs? So I guess it depends if you're still looking at the ownership structure, which is today, which is primarily individual consumers owning vehicle, or you're looking at a future state where you might assume more mobility play um, and more of a subscribe to service for vehicles. It really depends. Um, if you're still assuming individual consumers are going to be there, do you want to start, uh, you know, modifying uh, meter stations to have electric chargers in them as well? It, it gets good to a relatively large cost there. I think there's an overall kind of mobility play here um, that as you move away from individual consumers owning vehicles to more kind of fleet shared vehicles and mobility space, then electrics also make a lot of sense there because you can have a set storage space to put those vehicles at a set period of time somewhere to garages and individual consumers and charge them. I think, Kevin, you're right. I think that's how we need to think differently in the terms of electrification in the future. How does mobility and the, the dynamics of multiple vehicles accessible for the customer? Because it's, it's the ease of access to those customers to get into a recharged vehicle. It may not be the one they came out of an hour ago, right? But it's something of those terms that we need to, to think about moving forward. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the batteries for a moment uh, and talk about end of life. Mm -hmm. Because right now, no one knows how to recycle these batteries. And of course, one of the appeals of electric cars we talked about is they're green components. They're, they're good for the environment. Well. 10 years from now, maybe that doesn't look so hot if we can't recycle them. Dave, I'm sure you guys are working on this. Yeah, Ford, uh, we've got a number of really smart people looking in this space, and you're right, uh, it needs to be addressed. We're, we are projecting by 2030, there's gonna be two million tons of end-of-life batteries. Now, we could take them out of vehicles now, repurpose them into near-term storageable you know, energy stations, et cetera, but even beyond that, it's just postponing that you need to deal with them end-of-life, um, and today there's probably two paths. There's a, 
there's a path of uh, a hydro-metallurgical process where you could strip away with chemicals and, and recycle, and there's a pyrometallurgical where you just have to you incinerate it back to um, the natural chemicals. That recycling is important, and I think unfortunately, I'll say 95% of conversations around upfront, early purpose and usage of BEV vehicles, we need to work together with industry, and the DOE's got a number of projects, and universities have a, some pro programs running to take a look at how do we efficiently get the recycling up and running and get the cost, and it has to have a business case to work with it as well. Yeah, I mean, so I, there's, there's a lot to unpack when, when you get into this one. I, I think it's been a really easy topic of saying, you know, electric vehicles are great, people should start driving electric vehicles, but there's a, there's a whole, you know, end of life, I guess, for better use of term of what to do with these vehicles. I mean. First question is who owns the batteries? Does it make sense to have individual consumers buy the battery when they uh, purchase the vehicle? Or does it make sense for potentially OEMs or suppliers to still own the battery pack and effectively lease it out um, and then still have ownership rights to that vehicle, uh, to that battery uh, when it comes to its end? Um, you know, we already mentioned potential alternative uses. When, when a battery pack isn't right for a vehicle anymore, there's still other potential uses. Could you use it as you know, an additional power source for your home? Um, you know, could it be used in a factory somewhere, S some aspects like that. So, you know, what are some issues there? And then getting it back to its raw material <clears> again. Um, so I, I really think it's a, it's a situation where it's not just going to be an automotive situation to solve. This can be a mining and metals company um, issue to solve. Power and utilities need to get involved in this. There's a whole much larger kind of ecosystem that needs to get in play here to really kind of make this be worthwhile and valuable. Dave, how do you see it going? Uh, you're your customer's going to own the battery or would Ford consider owning them? Well, I think we need to sort that out and I think different governments have different perspectives. No matter what, we want to be part of the solution. We want to make sure it's, it's done in a very efficient and appropriate way. Um, we want to try to get the, we want to put, the, uh, put together the infrastructure with the right partners to look at the infrastructure to get the recycling in place. You know, I've heard this talk of uh, reusing EV batteries and there's all this talk of, oh, the the electric generating companies could use them, especially for renewables, solar, and wind. I've talked to the utilities. They said, no way are we buying used batteries. New ones, sure, we're interested, but not used ones. So I'm not sure, is, is this actually going to happen? Is there anyone seriously talking about reusing batteries? Once, as you guys know, they're no longer good for a car, but they can be used for other purposes. Mm -hmm. But is anyone seriously putting that practice to work, not just talking about it. There are, <clears throat> there are work streams in place. We call it repurposing. So you could repurpose the battery, even though it's done its vehicle life. Um, it still has utility for a charging station. But you is anyone doing that? There are some work streams up and running. Okay, but, so, like, but they're just pilot programs. They're pilot programs, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're... I don't think we've seen a scale enough of no. EV batteries out there to really scale this up to any real outside of pilots yeah, at this point. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And going back to the materials, it's, it's one thing to technologically be able to separate the batteries down to their individual materials. It's another thing for there to be market demand to use those materials because it might be expensive to recycle them and unless there's some other scheme in place, any company that's looking to buy materials is going to go for the cheapest one. I'll use the example of plastic right now. We have a lot of plastic in cars. We know how to recycle it. There's no market demand for it because virgin plastic is cheaper. 
So what do we need to do to make sure that not only do we figure out technically how to recycle these batteries, but that there's a market demand to actually use those materials? It gets back to the cost and for some of the techniques that are out there on the recycling, they're looking at the larger scale of how to get the costs down for the, that type of recycling process. And that is what will compete with the raw materials getting mined um, in the future. And especially if we look at post-2030, um, where is going to be the source of cobalt, of you know, lithium, and so on? It might be. It's a, It's going to be a space that's going to need to be uh, successful to work with. Mm -hmm. They got to bring down the cost of recycling the batteries at this point. It's still too high right now. Yet, if we get a better yield out of the recycling effort right now, yeah. we're probably not getting enough materials out of it to really make the scale work. Um, and then you also need to make sure that not only our companies but consumers find with using recycled uh, minerals in these batteries and make sure there's complete you know, safety and security in that point of view. Um, I think once you get to that point, if you can do it at scale, you can make it probably more efficient, at, at, at make it equal in cost or potentially cheaper yep. and show that there's no potential safety issues with going with this, I think the market will solve itself at that point. If you go to any recycling yard today, there are semi-trucks lined up waiting to buy from the recycling yard. All the steel, all the iron, all the copper, all the every piece of metal in the car pretty much gets recycled. They'll, they'll happily, you know, the aluminum smelters, the steel makers, they'll happily take all this scrap all day long and mix it in with the new stuff. The, the key is, you know, can we do the same for lithium and cobalt and other materials in the battery? That's going to be the challenge, I think. Mm -hmm. and, you know, are we spending too much time on batteries? I mean, uh, you know, we're talking 10 years out, what's going to happen. What about fuel cells, Dave? Do, do they hold any promise? I think <clears throat> the, the technology is getting to be more proven. A lot of OEMs have been working on it. I think the challenge there is back to the infrastructure, right? How do we get the service stations that have the hydrogen available for the fuel cells, and how do we have it um, in a safe manner? The transportation of getting it to the stations is, is key as well as far as the cost. So I think as, as the industry works through the infrastructure piece, um, trap fleets have been using fuel cells as pilots, et cetera. So the technology is there. It's really getting the, the value around the infrastructure for the hydrogen, hydrogen delivery. Mm -hmm. I mean, fuel cells are really interesting, especially if you compare them to EVs. If you look at you know, where your electricity comes from, from an upstream, downstream point of view, they could potentially be a much greener um, powertrain option for you. Um, I still think there's a decent play for fuel cells out there, but as Dave mentioned, you know, there's still all the logistics hurdles we just discussed for electric vehicles, you effectively have very similar uh, with hydrogen. Um, and you know, it, at this point, the cost is gonna be much higher than what you're looking at from an electric vehicle point of view. So I, I kind of view fuel cells as a much further out time horizon, potentially 10, 20, 30 years out at this point. Um, than what you're looking from, better electric vehicles. Are you talking about the U.S.? What about some other countries, notably South Korea, Japan? Now in China, they're talking a whole lot more about going heavy on fuel cell. Could, could government diktat make that happen sooner in other countries? Regulation is going to be a huge component with anything we're talking about up here, um, be it switching from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles, be it to what's going to happen with uh, battery electric vehicles when they're expired. Um, to you know, what's what's the demand going to be from not only from a consumer point of view, or where do government regulation kind of push consumers um, on this space? So yes, we've been seeing um, some you know, different countries outside of the U.S. have really been pushing much more aggressive um, emission standards, which is 
we're starting to see more shift um, in consumer demand from that point of view. So yeah, it, it could, um, but I don't. I haven't seen anyone really kind of pushing fuel cells at this point. I, th <clears throat> I think it's going to be a space that will grow. I think you're right. It, there's going to have to be some incentives from the government side. And I think it's trying to address a gap with the heavier vehicles that are out there, right? Where a battery-only electric vehicle may not be suitable or work as best. I think the fuel cell will have its, its appropriate space. And there's probably going to be incentives for infrastructure and for the technology development to come a, a lot sooner than 10 to 20 years from now. Yeah, because with a commercial fleet, like a heavy truck, yep. It's going to leave the yard and come back to the yard. So yeah. you could have the refueling right there. It doesn't have to worry about refueling on the way. Mm -hmm. And presumably used at ports, for example, where you have a heavy concentration of trucks mm -hmm. and ocean-going ships, potentially a lot of air contamination there. So yeah. it might work there. And, and Dave, uh, coming back to the, the battery recycling, looking at it on a global standpoint, do you see this discussion happening elsewhere too. Are they talking about battery recycling in Europe and China as well? Well, they are, but not to the extent that I think is needed at this point. So it needs to accelerate. Um, we know that all the electrification is coming. Um, I'm not sure if we've really sorted out with all the pilots what is the longer term solution to get the recycling mature and in place. Well, Kevin, any thoughts? What about in the rest of the world? It's Every country, I think, is relatively going through the same steps. Um, that what, what you're seeing here in the U.S. I think every country is kind of working through it at varying levels of speed, um, but everyone's still trying to work this through. I don't think anyone's really come up with a concrete foolproof plan at this point, but I think everyone's still kind of grappling with what's, what's this going to look like. So a lot of promise with electric cars, government mandate for electric cars. So far, nobody's making any money on them. Still have to figure out how to recycle them. I think you guys got your hands full for another decade here. Well, you'll have us back, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure I will, too. So, Kevin, what are you working on, then, in, in this regard? How, how do we move this forward? So, I really think it's, you know, how do you start kind of taking a step back and looking at just from an automotive point of view, and how do you really start kind of working with um, a lot of other industries out there? And how do you really, you know, get synergies not only from, you know, mining and metal companies, power and utility companies, Leveraging with our automotive companies who have a lot of experience with the vehicle side and really kind of get a whole kind of value supply chain out there that could be beneficial for everyone, including the consumer. Well, one thing I've learned watching this industry for many a decade now, it'll figure these things out. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are going to be on the forefront of fig figuring it out. So Dave Philippe and Kevin Roberts, thank you so much for sharing your insights today. Thank you, John. Thank you. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. Prepare for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.